episode 9 of Unbashful. Here we are. As always, I'm very excited for another week, another opportunity for me to sit in front of this mic and in front of this camera and discuss the things that I love. And we are going to do that once again today. And uh, as the title suggests, this episode is going to revolve around Christopher Nolan's next film titled, uh, titled Oppenheimer. And uh, let me just say, this episode in general has been very, very interesting to say the least. Uh, I I actually already filmed this episode um, a couple weeks ago, or sorry, no, not a couple weeks ago, like five days ago. And I thought everything was well, everything was good. I went to edit it today, and today is Saturday. When you're listening to this or watching this, it'll be Sunday. And when I went to edit everything, I realized that basically like my video file was corrupted in some in some way. I think it had to do with my SD card. I think my SD card actually ran out of room. And the camera recorded it, but I think what happened was when I went to go import it to my computer, I basically just didn't have... Uh, space left over on the SD card and yeah so pretty unfortunate pretty shitty but I mean I'm, I'm committed to this I love doing this so uh, and I guess I can sort of try and pick apart the you know the mistakes that I made from recording this the first time and try and capitalize on them this time so that's what we're gonna do uh, and yeah so <laughs> that's just a little bit of uh, backstory and insight to the uh, the creation of episode nine here, kind of kind of frustrating, but happens, and uh, you just have to move forward and, and you know not make a big deal out of it. So, yeah, I just wanted to get that out the way, and yeah, so let's let's just uh, let's just dive right into it. Um, Christopher Nolan's next film titled Oppenheimer, and essentially it is about the creation of about the atom bomb, and uh, Julius Robert Oppenheimer was the main person who was. Uh, in charge, and he was the director of the development of the atom bomb, uh, otherwise known as the Manhattan Project. So I'm going to get into the history. I'm going to get into everything and, and how all of that came to be, and the effects of the Manhattan Project, and essentially everything that took place. Um, and then we're also going to cover the casting news and everything that's you know been coming out. And obviously, we've heard that Killian Murphy has been uh, cast as the lead role to play Oppenheimer. And I'm going to give you my thoughts and everything on that. And then if there's time at the end of the episode, I'm going to cover some NBA, but we'll kind of see how things go and see, uh, you know, where we are and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, let's just get into the the idea of this film and sort of the the story of it. Well, not we'll, we, we'll get into the story later, but I'm just going to discuss my thoughts of this biopic story being the next Christopher Nolan film. And I'm I have no problems with it. Uh I'm not going to lie, I didn't expect us to get a new Christopher Nolan film so soon, especially with everything that happened with him and Warner Brothers. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Christopher Nolan, along with many uh, filmmakers that were involved with Warner Brothers and, and that worked with them, were very disappointed. Uh, more so the people that had films coming out this year were very disappointed to hear that they were going to be getting a day and date release, meaning that they would release theatrically simultaneously while being released uh, on streaming services like HBO Max and, you know, Crave and all that stuff. And I completely understand their frustration because, well, first of all, they didn't even get a heads up, right? They didn't even, they didn't, they weren't even told till after, you know, production had ended and, and the films were already ready to go. And what that does for the filmmakers is obviously from a financial standpoint is, is arguably the biggest because a lot of the people that, We'll watch this. We'll watch these movies like Dune and Tenet 
um, at home, though they could have been to the movie theater and not only for them, like the audience members, they were, I, I truly do feel like the best way to experience new movies is in the theater, right? That that's just always been my position. I mean, there's, you know, pros and cons. I mean, when you're in your home, you're in the comfort of your own home, you could get up to get a snack and so on. But for me personally, I, I believe seeing a movie, <coughs> seeing a movie theatrically, it's just like, an, it, it's a very fun experience. That's the best way I could put it. it. It's an experience for me. Maybe I'm being a little exaggerative, but that's just always how I've felt about it. But getting back to what I was saying, when, when you split up the audience and you give, you give people an opportunity to watch it at home, that is going to dramatically affect the box office, uh, uh, earnings of these films. And that's why we've seen, you know, Tenet for the most part was a flop. Dune is probably going to be a flop. I love Dune, but I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be on HBO max as well. And it's, it's going to give people a reason to not go to the movie theater to watch this film. Some people still will. Uh, people like me who just generally love going to the theater instead of watching a movie at home, uh, they will still go to the theater, but there's going to be a large portion of the audience that will that will rather stay home and watch it on HBO Max, which is pretty unfortunate, but I mean, hey, it is what it is. Uh, it's good for the streaming service, but for the filmmakers and, and you know, like Christopher Nolan and, and, and the cast and the crew, it's going to dramatically affect like the box office and the money they make. And, and not only the money they make, but it also could hurt the chances of the film getting a sequel. Because if the film doesn't perform well at the box office, then every you know the studios that finance a the film are going to be like, well, you know, why should we green light a sequel if this film couldn't, you know, could barely even break even to the budget that we gave you to make this film in the first place? And it's really unfortunate because there's a lot of fantastic films. Uh, that might never see the light of day in terms of a sequel because of you know their flops at the box office. And a huge, a prime example of that this year was Suicide Squad with James Gunn. I think Suicide Squad was nothing short of excellent. I thought it was fantastic, uh, but that film did terrible at the box office, and it's really unfortunate. But I don't think we're gonna get a, you know another Suicide Squad directed by James Gunn, which is really shitty. Now I know he's. He's still involved with DC. I know he's, uh, I don't know if he's, I don't think he's directing, but I'm pretty sure he's producing the Peace, Peacemaker show with John Cena. So I am excited to see that. We, I mean, we could, um, we could see a sequel, but I mean, I don't think it's likely because I mean, if history is an indicator, when films don't perform well at the box office, they usually don't get a sequel because from a business standpoint, I mean, it kind of makes sense, right? It's like, you know, what's going to change this time? What's, what's going to make us more money this time? You know, you were supposed to do it the first time and you didn't, right? That's why I'm really upset. But I think I really would love to see a sequel to Blade Runner 2049, Denis Villeneuve's film uh, that came out like three years ago. And that film did very bad at the box office. Now it did, it did, it did bad for different reasons because that wasn't during COVID and the film struggled in the marketing aspect of it, I think it definitely could have improved its marketing. It was a fantastic film. It's one of the films that inspired me to get into this industry, but I don't think we'll ever see a sequel to that, which is quite unfortunate. Um, but anyway, so getting back to the topic here about Oppenheimer, um, this is going to be a, a, a film 
that is obviously set during you know World War II because that is that's when the the two uh, that's that's when the two atom bombs that were created being I think it's called the Fat Man and the Little Boy. Let me double check here. The Fat Man and the Little Boy. Yes. So uh, yeah. So according to uh, history.com, the little boy, the little boy was the plutonium base or sorry, the little boy was the uranium based atom bomb. And then the second one was the fat man, which is the plutonium based uh, atom bomb. Those are the two that were created during the Manhattan Project. And, and the little boy was used on Hiroshima and the fat man was then used on Nagasaki. And that, that story is very interesting because I'm, I'm almost positive that like, I don't know this for sure. And by the way, before I get into this, I'm not a historian by any means. Uh, there's a lot of people that know way more about this subject than I do. I'm just going off of the research that I found. So if you notice that there's some gaping holes and, and I miss some very key things or I just get some things wrong, please correct me. I'm by no means trying to, you know, come off pretentious and seem like I'm some historian that went to, you know, school for this. I, I didn't. But just stop going off of the research that I found. The... I'm almost positive that the that Japan probably knew to some degree that the United States were working on some big weapon, but I don't think they took it serious enough because they didn't surrender and they were already getting their ass kicked in the first place and they didn't surrender. So then the United States used the first bomb, the little boy, dropped it on Hiroshima. And then you'd think from there that Japan would think, okay, they just killed, you know, North, you know somewhere between 200,000 people in our country, innocent people that didn't deserve to die, but it was because of our negligence and our ignorance, we should probably, you know, throw in the towel and surrender because if they did this once, it's very likely that they'll do it again. And that's just critical and logical thinking, in my opinion, at least. You feel free to disagree. But they didn't do that. And the United States gave them time they gave them three days because this was august 6 if i'm not mistaken 1945 and shortly after three days three days later uh that's when the second bomb the fat man was dropped on nagasaki because the japan didn't surrender i i don't know if pride got in the way or, or whatever the case but they didn't surrender and the united states they gave them you know three days and they didn't do it so then finally they dropped the second one Killed a lot more people, a lot more casualties, unfortunately. A lot of innocent people died uh, because of that. And finally, Japan wised up and they said, okay, we uh, we hear you now and we're going to throw in the towel. So that uh, that is essentially, you know, to put the Manhattan Project in a nutshell, you know, that was sort of what, what all their work amalgamated to in terms of like a highlight of what it was used for, right? It was used for Hiroshima and Nagasaki, which essentially ended that part of the war. I mean, this was all 1945. So the war was coming to an end anyway. It was the final year of World War II. But that really put a stamp on it with those two, you know, destructions of those cities. Uh, very, very significant events in history. Um, and that was all from the research and the work and everything that you know julius robert oppenheimer developed with the manhattan project and i'll you know as this episode goes on i'm going to get into more detail about you know people involved because i i have speculations as to who some of the people that have recently recently been casted uh, uh you know who they'll be playing so 
Uh, yeah, and so, and I know a lot of you are asking, a lot of you probably aren't familiar with anything that I'm talking about, so I'm going to give you a little bit of backstory. Um, so, first of all, you're probably wondering, who is Julius Robert Oppenheimer? And I'm going to, yeah, I've already talked about it briefly, but I'm going to read a quote from a website called Atomic Heritage Foundation. They put it really, really well. They said, J. Robert Oppenheimer, who was born 1904 to 1967, was an American theoretical physicist. During the Manhattan Project, Oppenheimer was the director of the Los Alamos Laboratory and responsible for the research and design of the atomic bomb. He is often known as the father of the atomic bomb. Uh, And I'm sure some of you have probably seen, there's like a a very uh, well-known clip of him speaking, and it's been used in films. I think it was used in like one of the Godzilla trailers that came out like six years ago, and it's you know, essentially he's like, I, you know, I am death, the destroyer of worlds or something. I'm paraphrasing. It's something along those lines. If you've seen that video, that is uh, Julius Robert Oppenheimer and uh, very, very smart man. And, uh, and yeah, so he, like I said, he is the man. He, he's not the only one that obviously created the, the two atomic bombs, but he is like, he was the lead, you know, director of, of the whole Man- Manhattan Project. So now we're going to move on here and I just want to quickly go back. So before we get into more detail about, you know, who was involved, you know, other people, different stories and so on, I want to talk about Christopher Nolan in general, and I'm going to discuss, you know, some of the, I'm going to discuss Dunkirk and why I think that film is a great indicator of what we're going to get with, uh, with Oppenheimer. Now, what I think we can expect. I don't think we can expect tons of action. That part of Dunkirk, I doubt very much we'll see with Oppenheimer because I believe Oppenheimer is going to all be about the the uh, the drama and the intensity and the de- the overall development of the atomic bomb. I don't think we're going to be seeing people, you know, storming the beaches of Normandy, shooting their M1 Grands. Like I don't think we're going to be seeing that. It's just that's that's not what the movie's about. But both films, Dunkirk, I'm. I'm paraphrasing, or I think Dunkirk. I'm pretty sure Dunkirk is set within World War World War Two, if I'm not mistaken. But I don't want to be incorrect about that. So let me look this up here. Dunkirk uh, time period. Uh, yeah. Okay. So it said uh, between the 26th of May and the. 4th of June during 1940, which was the be- that would have been the beginning of uh, World War II. So both films uh, are, are taking place during the Second World War, one being Dunkirk was at the beginning, and then, you know, what happened with Oppenheimer and the Manhattan Project, that was literally towards the end of the, well, the, the bombs were launched at the end of World War II, but the development probably began, you know, somewhere between, you know, 43 and 44, I imagine. Um but I think what we can expect overall is sort of an aesthetic. I, I think since that is such a significant, uh, you know, area and uh, time period in history, and not for the you know not for some of the best reasons. Or like I said, there was a lot of death, a lot of casualties. Uh, but I think we're going to get that same dark, gritty aesthetic that we got from Dunkirk. It's not going to be obviously copy and paste, um, but I think that sort of intensity in that doom and gloom a lot of dark 
you know, colors like very dark browns, blues, and so on to sort of, you know, immerse you into that universe of, you know, the world is at war. <laughs> world, I mean, World War Two. You know, people are fighting for their lives, fighting for their freedom, and I think. I think what's going to be the interesting part of Oppenheimer is that we're going to see that because we saw that from the perspective of the soldiers, right? That's where we saw the perspective of in Dunkirk. But I think this time we're going to see that from the perspective of the civilians. And now, obviously, Oppenheimer wasn't, you know, running, gunning and, and, and stuff like that. He he was, you know, at the United States. But I think we're going to see the perspective obviously from him of what's happening around them around the world and also the civilians around them i think we're gonna you know we're gonna hear a lot about you know there's gonna be a lot of uh you know widows that we're gonna see a lot of wives gonna that are gonna be like oh my husband's in you know he's in japan right now and in his you know or he, he might have died or i don't know but i think you know not to ramble on here i just i think it's gonna be very interesting and there's gonna be always that underlying intensity of okay we need to make this weapon, you know, millions of people are dying and it's a very, very difficult time right now. Overall, I'm generally just very happy that we're going to be seeing not only another Christopher Nolan film, but another World War II, uh, World War II film. Because for me personally, I'm, I'm a sucker for those kind of movies. As a kid, I, I loved, I was obsessed with that, with that time period. I truly thought as a kid, I was going to try and pursue some sort of career in in history because as a kid I loved you know history but more specifically I loved uh, learning about the events of World War one and two I'm, a, I'm a just a big sucker for those kind of films like hamburger Hill platoon uh, movies like that those are some of my my favorites um, and yeah I'm just very very excited I think Christopher Nolan is gonna knock this one out of the park uh, especially with you know some of the reported casts that we're gonna get into and you know other other people involved like Ludwig Garrickson and, and so on so uh, so yeah now let's get into a little bit more of the details of this of this story behind you know Oppenheimer and the Manhattan Project so I've, I've given you a, a brief little history lesson if you will of who Oppenheimer was now let's talk about what is the Manhattan Project so essentially the Manhattan Project now I, I when, when people ask you know you know, why was this started? Obviously, you know, a lot of people will think, well, you know, the United States, they needed a weapon, right? They needed something of this gargantuan sort of, you know, weapon of mass destruction to sort of, you know, go against the opposition. But there's more to it than that. And through the research that I've learned, I learned that uh, the Manhattan Project was started more or less out of United States trying to be proactive because they were hearing rumors and, and, and information that the, the Nazis were sort of playing around with nuclear technology of their own. And they, they hadn't they hadn't made an atomic bomb yet, obviously, but you know, the Third Reich was insane, right? There was there, there was even rumors back in the day of them trying to make you know, zombie ish soldiers and stuff. I don't know if I fully believe that. That's probably not true. But, you know, United States they didn't want to they didn't, they didn't want to give them that time to make an atom bomb. Sorry for the for the cut that you guys probably will notice uh, while listening or watching. My camera just for some reason decided to shut off on me, which uh, that's always fun. But uh, anyways, getting back to what I was explaining before, essentially, you know, to, to wrap up, you know, sort of why the Manhattan Project was started. It was it was in response to the rumors and well actually the intel wasn't rumors that the nazis were experimenting with nuclear technology but 
it turns out they were actually nowhere, apparently they were nowhere close to even actually coming close to creating an atom bomb. But I mean, regardless, you know, good for the United States for reacting so, you know, quickly and getting things rolling and finding the personnel and, and the proper people involved to, you know, come together to create the Manhattan Project. And, uh, and yeah, so it was very, very, uh, very, very smart decision by the U.S. to obviously get everybody, you know, J. Robert Oppenheimer involved and, and some of the other people that we're going to talk about, which is probably a good time to actually do so. Uh, well, here, but first we get in, before we get into them, I'm going to discuss uh, the people that are involved with this film. So just starting off, I got a list here on my phone. Obviously, we have Christopher Nolan. Obviously, you know, one of the best directors in Hollywood is going to be writing and directing this film, which is very common, something he does. He's done with a lot of his films, most of if not. Uh, then we have Killian Murphy, who is playing J. Robert Oppenheimer. And I didn't see this one coming, but I'm so glad that he was cast for this. Not, not only that, it's been quite some time since we've seen him playing a lead role, right? Now, obviously... You could say Peaky Blinders, but that that's a series. That's a that's a television series. I'm talking about a full-on motion picture. It's been a while. I can't even remember the last film that he did when he was the lead. He's done quite a few. Don't get me wrong, uh, but I off the top of my head, I mean, I know it's it's been years at this point. I think it's been at least like four or five years since he's at the minimum. Could be even longer. Uh, so I'm very happy to see him in a lead role now. You know, Christopher Nolan and Killian Murphy, they've worked with each other for many times. So clearly, you know, there's a there's a very a good relationship between them. And I'm sure, you know, they're confident that, you know, them working together again is going to probably create another masterpiece, in my opinion. Uh, as for the films that he has, you know, Killian Murphy has been in with Christopher Nolan. He was in the, the Batman, the Dark Knight trilogy. Very, very small role. In uh, The Dark Knight and in The Dark Knight Rises. He was only in The Dark Knight for the first, I don't know, 10 minutes of the film. Uh, when, when they're in the parking garage and, you know, Batman pulls up and he has like, you know, uh, people that are dressed up like him and so on. So he was in that film very briefly. And then he was in The Dark Knight Rises also uh, very briefly as well. Actually, even shorter, probably. He, he was like the judge. And then when, you know, Jim Gordon is on the stand, he's like, exile or death. And then Jim Gordon's like, I want exile. Then Killian Murphy says, death by exile, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, but he was the primary antagonist of the first film, Batman Begins, uh, along with Liam Neeson being Ra's al Ghul. So he did those films. And then also he obviously was one of the main supporting characters of, excuse me, Inception, uh, which is another really, really, really good uh, Christopher Nolan film. And... Then he was in Dunkirk, and Dunkirk he had a he had a smaller role, but I think it was very pivotal because if anybody's seen Dunkirk, he was sort of this soldier who had been rescued by the by these uh, by this father and his son and his his friend or something something like that, and he really showed a really good representation of how how that war and how those killings and those murders of countless people how can it truly how it truly can affect a man and you see that with his character in Dunkirk you could see that this man is broken right he doesn't want to be touched 
where he does he doesn't want to be talked to. That's why he accidentally kills the the kid who's literally just trying to help him. He's trying to offer him like food and water and resources to help him feel better when they when they rescue him in in the water or whatever on their boat. But he's so just shaken. He he, he because he was just in a battle. You know, people were trying to take his life. So he's not used to seeing people trying to help him. And that is one of the most unfortunate things about war is it really it really breaks people and it really changes them. And we saw that. I don't even think his character had a name in the movie. He was just this soldier that was, you know, luckily rescued by these people and he was just torn because of everything that's been going on around him, right? And I think that would that would tear anybody, right? So, it, it, to be honest with you, that's from from a pure acting standpoint, right? That is probably my favorite performance of his out of out of the Christopher Nolan films. I'm not saying period, although it is one of his best in my in my opinion. He's done very very good films. Uh, it's not his best performance, but what I'm saying is out of all the Christopher Nolan films. I, true, I, I truly do believe that is his best performance from a pure acting standpoint, a display of talent. That, in my opinion, is my is is the best, uh, in my personal favorite, Killian Murphy, Christopher Nolan performance. Now, obviously, we're not going to be seeing that. We're not going to be seeing a, a, a man who's broken and, and you know, who, who's just in shell shock, essentially. We're going to be seeing a, a genius Right, a, a guy, a, a theoretical physicist. That's who he's going to be playing, which is J. Robert Oppenheimer. Uh, so, so yeah, so so that's Killian Murphy is playing the lead. Uh, moving on, this casting news only happened a couple days ago. This news that I'm about to get into. So we have Robert Downey Jr. Then we have Matt Damon, and then we have Emily Blunt. Now it's been confirmed that Emily Emily Blunt is going to be playing J. Robert Oppenheimer's uh, wife which I didn't know when I first filmed this podcast, I was saying, you know, which I'm glad I learned about because when I first shot this podcast, I was, I mentioned, uh, you know, I don't really know who, who she's playing. Uh, I looked up women of significance that were involved in, in the, uh, in the project and, you know, I couldn't really find any names. So I'm glad to know. I'm glad that I, that I found out that she is going to be playing his wife so that we know. But with Robert Downey Jr. and Matt Damon, that remains to be seen. The public, obviously everybody involved in the film, including them, know who they are. Uh, but as for you know the public and the general audience, nobody knows yet. Uh, it hasn't been reported as far as I'm concerned. But I was doing some research of some other you know key people that were involved. And there was many, so it's very hard. Now, I'm just speculating at this point. I don't know. I could be completely wrong or I could be dead right, I guess, We'll have to wait to find out. But who I think that Robert Downey Jr. is going to be playing is a man named Edward Teller. Edward Teller, similar to uh, Oppenheimer, he was also a a theoretical physicist. And he was heavily involved in the hydrogen bomb. And he was also... And he, he also... So he was heavily involved in the hydrogen bomb. And then he also believed... Uh, that Oppenheimer was a security risk. Now, what I just said, I'm, I basically quoted that comes from uh, the Santa Fe, New Mexico, a New Mexican, Santa Fe, New Mexican, a website that talks about history and stuff like that. And essentially, to put it in my own words, he, like I said, theoretical physicist, heavily involved in the creation of the atom bomb, just like Oppenheimer, but not as much authority and probably not as smart. But he actually butt heads a lot with Oppenheimer. Not only that, I read more about Edward Teller. 
And he actually not only uh, was at, you know, had, had many differences with Oppenheimer, but with a lot of the physicists that, that were also involved as well. So I think that's a, that's a, that's a character you could put into sort of, you know, have some tension, have some, you know, disagreements and sort of argue that could be a character that can sort of butt heads with uh, with Killian Murphy's Oppenheimer in the film. And he sort of looks like Robert Downey Jr., but that, I mean, that should never be the main priority, I feel, in a film. Like, obviously, in a biopic, you do want someone who relatively, you know, looks similar to the character because you obviously want to, you know, pay respect for them, right? You don't want to get somebody who looks completely different. But for the most part, I think when you're making a film, the main priority should be the performance rather than you know, the actor. And, and that's just the case because when Rami Malek was cast to play uh, the lead singer, I'm drawing a blank, of uh, of Queen, what's his name? Freddie Mercury. When, when he was when he was cast to play Freddie, Freddie Mercury, a lot of the people on the internet were making a big deal saying he looks nothing like him. And then when the film came out and obviously the, the you know, the outfits and, and things like that, I think he ended up looking a lot like what Freddie Mercury, 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 actually look like holy shit i'm stuttering it's probably a good time to take a sip of some water that's the thing about making these podcasts that i will say i get so thirsty after because i i mean other than shooting a podcast i don't ever talk this much period (laughs) so it's definitely uh i love doing it but (laughs) that's one thing that uh that, that can be very taxing sometimes is the amount of you know, thirst I get during these episodes. And I mean, in this case, I have a, you know, glass of water with me, but in some cases I have to pause and, you know, guzzle back a couple of glasses and then, you know, recharge and rewind. Uh, but anyways, getting back to Robert Downey Jr. So, uh, yeah, like I was saying, I think he kind of looks like Edward Teller, but not, you know, not like a full on mirror version of him. But I do think that 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 could be the potential character that Robert Downey Jr. is playing for this film. So that being Edward Teller. Next, we have Matt Damon. And like I said, just like Robert Downey Jr., this is pure speculation as as to who I think his character will be. But off of my research, I believe that Matt Damon will be playing... uh, Now, I say character, but these are obviously real people. But I think that the person that he is going to be portraying, uh, I believe, is Leslie Groves. Now... Lester Groves was actually the original director. Now, this before I mention this, once again, this information comes from the uh, Santa Fe, New Mexican website. And according to them, that Leslie Groves was actually the original director of the Manhattan Project. He was in charge of the production, the construction, and the security of the site where they were working on the atom bomb. I'm paraphrasing, but you know, that was in Los Alamos. That's where the main sort of area where they were working on it. He was in charge of essentially everything for, for the beginning of it, uh, of you know the whole bomb site in Los Alamos. But then eventually he actually appointed Oppenheimer to be the lead uh, of to you know to lead the project of the Manhattan Project for you know the bomb site at Los uh, Los Alamos. So he he's a character with a lot of a lot of authority and. He kind of looks like Matt Damon. Now, I, I don't want to, like I said, I don't want to put a, a big emphasis on, you know, looks and stuff like that because, you know, when a film is being made, there's lots of things you could do to make a character look like somebody else. I mean, we, we see that all the time, right? I mean, look at the new Batman film coming out. I don't think anybody really knew that Penguin, now obviously Penguin's not a real character, he's a fictional character, but, 
you know, everybody kind of knows what Penguin looks like, right? You know, big dude, the nose and so on. And they chose, I always do, I always draw blanks when I'm shooting this podcast. I always have notes, but let me see. So Penguin, I'm getting off track here. I'm talking about, you know, Oppenheimer, Manhattan Project, and then I moved to, I moved to the Batman, but oh, let me see here. The Batman cast 2021. So Colin Farrell, there it is. Yeah, Colin Farrell is playing Penguin. For those of you, for those of you who didn't know, it took me a while to find out because off those, you know, off the first trailer, I was like, I I couldn't tell who was playing uh, Penguin in in the Batman, and it turns out it's uh, Colin Farrell. So that just goes to show the the aesthetics and the face construction that you know these big budget films are capable of, of pulling off so i'm not so like i said going you know with that being said going back to oppenheimer here i don't think you know the characters the actors have to look exactly like the people that they're uh performing so so like i said just to repeat uh my point earlier i i believe that matt damon will be playing leslie groves and then obviously, like I said, Emily Blunt, who's going to be playing the wife of Oppenheimer. And as for release date, this film is going to be coming out July 23rd. Now, as I mentioned earlier, I'm pretty surprised that we're, and I, I mean, I'm happy. I'm happy we're getting a film, another Christopher Nolan film so soon. Now, a lot of people could say, oh, well, that's a far away 2023. I'm telling you, 2023 will come faster than you can think, right? Like I, we're going to wake up. To more, obviously, I'm you know I'm speaking exaggeratively here, but we're gonna wake up and it's gonna be 2023, right? So it, it it'll come very very fast. To be honest, I didn't expect to to see another Christopher or even hear about another Christopher Nolan film. You know, probably till 2023. That's when I would have expected to actually start hearing news and then production for his new film. You know, I thought it would it wouldn't have started to like. 2024 and then you know eventually we wouldn't have seen the film till 2025 so the fact that we're hearing already that they're the the casting is being taken care of now i'm sure obviously there's going to be more people that we'll hear about that are involved in this film because they haven't started production yet but production will probably start very very soon i know there's a there's a date um i mean if if it's releasing in the summer of 2023 i imagine the film is going to begin production probably by next summer early you know early spring of 2022 uh so that that's probably my guess and then i mentioned this earlier as well ludwig gergson is composing and uh, hoyt von hoytema i really apologize if i butcher that pronunciation but uh him and ludwig gergson they both worked on tenet uh and, and i love the cinematography in tenet and i loved the uh, the soundtrack of Tenet. I think Tenet has one of the best soundtracks I've ever heard. I still listen to it to this day. It's 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 incredible. I it really gets me pumped. I listen to it when I work out and uh, play basketball and stuff like that. So I'm really really glad they're returning. That's it's actually very interesting because usually you know with a lot of these Christopher Nolan films we've seen uh, Hans Zimmer, uh, you know, w- be be in charge of the score and, and the uh, soundtrack. Now, maybe he's not involved in this film because of scheduling error, which was the case with Tenet. He was making, I think he was doing Dune while they were doing Tenet. And uh, and I love Dune and I love the soundtrack of Dune. It's so good. Listen to Gom Jabbar. Incredible. Uh, so that could be the case. It could be something to do with scheduling. Uh, I'm not quite sure. 
But uh, so yeah, just to wrap up, I'm gonna I'm gonna repeat this list one more time just for those who might have forgot because I kind of did go off a little bit off topic. So uh, starting from the beginning, the obvious one, we have Christopher Nolan writing and directing, Killian Murphy playing J. Robert Oppenheimer, Robert Downey Jr. uh, to be determined as for who he's playing. Then we have Matt Damon, same thing, to be determined who he is going to be playing. Then we have Emily Blunt. She's going to be playing Oppenheimer's wife. Then we have Ludwig Gerritsen, who's composing. Then we have Hoyt von Hoytema, who's going to be the cinematographer. And then, like I said, release date, July 21st, 2023. That could be pushed. I feel like the past couple of years, release dates, and a lot of this has to do, obviously, with COVID, but a lot of the release dates we've seen have usually never been concrete and usually are changed at some point. So fingers crossed, fingers crossed. I really hope this film does come out in the summer. I think that'd be a fantastic time for a movie like that to come out. And overall, I'm just very, very excited. Uh, now, to con- sort of get on the, the tail end of this episode, I thought I would wrap up. So we've covered, you know, we've covered the, you know, the Manhattan Project and, you know, Oppenheimer and, and, and everything like that. Um, but now we are going, we are going to, we're going to discuss, I'm going to do another tier list. I love doing these tier lists. It gives me a chance to sort of, you know, think of, you know, my my favorites and in, 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 in just sort of give a ranking. I love doing that. I, I love watching videos of people doing that. And it's one of my favorite things. It, it, it's like hanging out with your friends and, and, and talking about, you know, sports or movies or like, you know, getting into debates. I love stuff like that. And that's part of the reason why I started this podcast in the first place. I love just talking about things I love and, you know, sparking, you know, conversations and sometimes things get, could get controversial and, you know, there could be hot takes, but, uh, yeah. So anyways, that, Excuse that. Um, so yeah, we're gonna get into my top three Christopher Nolan films in order. Um, I was gonna do a top five. I'll save that for another episode. But we're just gonna do top three today. Now I'm gonna say before I get into my list, I do not have Inception in my list, and I know for a lot of people that is going to be a problem because a lot of people hold Inception to a very very high regard, and I do think it's a good movie. But I don't think it's a masterpiece or this, you know, film of the ages, like a lot of people, you know, talk about it. And I, I think the performances are really good. I love Leonardo DiCaprio. I love Tom Hardy. I love uh, Killian Murphy. And uh, I love the rest of the actors that are involved. I I think, it, I think it's a good movie. I don't think it's bad by any means. And it is, if I did a top five, it, it would probably be in my top five. I'd have to give it some thought. But um it's just not in my top three for me. And I, I, me personally, I've seen the film three times. So I know a lot of people are going to probably think, oh, he doesn't like it because he probably doesn't understand it, which is a very common complaint of many of Christopher Nolan's films. You know, most recently, Tenet, a lot of people, you know, couldn't wrap their head around Tenet and what was going on with that film. And, you know, that's understandable. And, uh, but I just want to dispel that. I completely understand the plot and everything that's, taking place in Inception, because like I said, I've seen the film three or four times. I do enjoy watching it, but it just, for me, it didn't, it didn't hit me and it didn't grab me as much as it did for other people. And you know what? That's okay. Because, you know, at the end of the day, film and and, and this sort of just art in general is is a subjective, you know, thing, right? Like some people are going to like one thing more than another. That's normal. That's okay. It's, it's healthy, to disagree on things, right? Now, 
it's just my list. I'm not saying the film is objectively not top three, whatever that even means. Um, it's just not in my top three list for me personally. So I just want to get that out of the way because I know if I if I didn't if I didn't mention that, a lot of people would probably notice that. And it would spark conversation of, oh, he doesn't have Inception in his top three. Are you fucking serious? Are you fucking stupid? Or, you know, I'm just getting it out of the way right now. But with that being said, with that sort of precursor, let's get into my list. So with my list, and number three, I have The Dark Knight. In my opinion, The Dark Knight is the best uh, film. It, it, it's the best Dark Knight film Sorry, let, let me rephrase. The film's called The Dark Knight. Out of the Dark Knight trilogy, out of the three films, I think it's the best Batman film out of those three films that Christopher Nolan uh, directed. And I think most people can probably agree with that in terms of that being the best one out of the three. Obviously, you have the most, in my opinion, the best performance of the Joker with Heath Ledger. No disrespect to Joaquin Phoenix. I, I still think he completely deserved to win Best Actor. I, 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 I think... I think the Academy was right in awarding him that. So I have no I have no ill will against his portrayal. I thought I thought it was good, but from I, I from a pure comic standpoint, I still believe that Heath Ledger's uh take and his performance of the Joker, in my opinion, still it I still hold it to the highest regard compared to all the other performances of Jack Nicholson, like I said, uh uh Joaquin Phoenix. Uh I mean those are uh, Jared Leto, uh, I I, th- I think he I think Heath Ledger, Heath Ledger still has has portrayed that character the best in a live action standpoint. A lot a lot of people are gonna be like Mark Hamill, and yes, I I understand there's a, there's a lot of people that love the animated films, and I do too. I watched them a lot as a kid. I I really enjoy those, but from a live action standpoint, Heath Ledger is my favorite Joker. So obviously, like I said. The Dark Knight, you have the Joker, the most iconic villain in the Batman, you know, Rose Gallery, and uh, and then a very interesting story behind the Falcone mob, them getting their their money, you know, wired to uh, to to Hong Kong, and I, I think it was very interesting. There's a lot of very interesting elements to that film, and overall, it's uh, my third favorite Christopher Nolan film. The next, we have his most recent film, Tenet. Now, for the most part, I know there's people out there that probably feel the same way as me, but for the most part, I think majority of people don't enjoy Tenet as much as I do because I think Tenet is, is an exceptional film. I think it's incredible. Yeah, Tenet is incredible, and I, I I had already obviously heard of John David Washington, but that film really kind of showed me his his acting chops, if you will, his, his his capabilities as a performer. And I think he's he his sort of career is very interesting. Now, obviously, everybody knows he's the son of one of the greatest actors of all time, Denzel Washington, uh, but he really stands on his own two feet in terms of like. It's very easy when you're looking at a celebrity and their kid. It's very easy to sort of say like, oh, you're not as good as your dad. And by no means am I saying that John David Washington is as good as his dad. But he really is an exceptional actor. One of the better actors in Hollywood today. 
And I think Tenet was a prime example of that. And ever since I saw Tenet, I was just, you know, very interested to see what he would do next. And then Malcolm Marie came out. And a lot of people didn't really like that. A lot of people didn't enjoy that movie with him and Zendaya. I love that film. In fact, that film made me cry. I'll just come out straight up and say, I don't care. That film was fantastic. It, it was emotionally just like, you know, chilling and, and just crippling, if you will. Uh, I don't want to get too, too off topic, but watch Malcolm and Marie if you have Netflix. Incredible film uh, about, you know, romance and, 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 uh, and relationships and things of that nature. Uh, fantastic film, but yeah, that film really sort of introduced me to John David Washington. And after I saw that, I went back and I watched some of his, you know, films. And and, and uh, I watched uh, Baller, Ballers with him and uh, the, the HBO series with him and The Rock. And yeah, so I, I was about to mention mention this earlier, but I kind of got off t- off uh, track talking about Malcolm Malcolm and Marie. But his sort of careers are interesting because for those of you who know John David Washington, he was actually in the NFL prior to being an actor and I don't think we've ever seen anything like that we've seen you know professional athletes sort of branch out and do other things like I know I know I don't know his name I don't really follow the NFL but I heard that there's some player for the uh, San Francisco 49ers who's like also a doctor or something so we've seen you know athletes have you know other careers on the side but I don't think anything like acting to the level that John Neva Washington is an actor we've seen We've seen athletes, you know, act in movies, sure. We, but have they been as successful and as talented in that, you know, in the entertainment industry as John David Washington has? I don't think we have because you look at John David Washington as a performer, and you think that this is this is something he be, he had he has been doing his whole life, you know, in terms of performing and acting, and really he's relatively new to this. Now he he's he's been around for some years now, sure. But compared to some of the you know great actors in Hollywood, they've been doing this for years, and he's or sorry he they've been doing it for decades, right? And he he's only been doing this for you know like five six years at this point. So I'm very very excited to see what he continues to do forward, and I'm very I'm gonna I'm gonna be keeping on the lookout for his future work, and then obviously Robert Pattinson, Robert Pattinson, you know his co-star. Uh, he's probably my favorite actor in Hollywood right now. I, I love Robert Pattinson. And, and for those of you who listen to this podcast, you know my excitement and my anticipation that I have for the Batman coming out next year. Uh, and I, I love Robert Pattinson. And I love, you know, pretty much the films. I, I love the films that he's done and the, the, the indie art house film that he's, art house films rather, sorry, that he's been doing these last five years with, you know, uh, uh, the Lighthouse, and uh, I keep forgetting the names of these. He did The Lighthouse, uh, something something Barbarians with uh, with Charlie Hunnam, and he did that movie in space. I, I sound like a fucking jackass right now. I promise I've seen these films. I just the names of them are just fading right now. Uh, but yeah, overall, I love what he's been doing these last you know five six years. It's it's been relatively you know, unnoticed to a lot of people because a lot of people just look at him and they think Twilight. I mean, obviously, that's that that's normal. That's that's the last time we've seen him, you know, in the spotlight like that. So I understand why people, you know, will look at him and immediately think of, oh, he's just the Twilight vampire guy. Like he has come such a long way since then. I'm telling you, go back and watch his recent films in the last five years, especially more specifically, go back and watch The Lighthouse. One of the greatest movies I've ever seen, period. 
And yeah, and overall, I love Tenet. It's just, I love the spy sort of espionage time travel components. And there's many complaints about the film, the audio mixing, the lack of character development with John David's character. And let me just address that. Now, you never find out his name in the film. He's just referred to as the protagonist. But I do believe that there's some character building and some character development that happens earlier in the film. So I think to say there's no character development, I think that's incorrect. Just because the the character didn't have a name doesn't mean there's no character development. I just want to be clear about that. Now, there there are many films where if you didn't know the character's name, you know, that would have hurt the film. But in this case, it adds a mystery element to the film. Because when you're, with a lot of these films, they don't always owe the audience answers. Sometimes it's good to leave leave questions unanswered it sort of leaves the audience to interpret it themselves you know there's a lot of films that have that have done this before uh a film i just watched recently for like the ninth time it does this in the ending with shutter island right for um, spoilers i'm going to talk about the ending for a sec but at the end of shutter island leonardo dicaprio's character essentially relapses if you will because the whole idea of the film is that him um he is he's he's doing this sort of like role play to help help him forget you know what the tragedies that have happened in his life with his wife killing his kids and then him killing his wife he's created this fictional life that he lives out to sort of suppress those tragedies that happen and he he's you know the the doctors they call it a loop in the film you know you you do this for 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 like a whole year and then you come back to reality shortly you admit to who you are, you admit to what you've done and what has happened to you, and then you just go back to this fake character and you 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 pretend like you don't know any of this stuff. But then at the end of the film, he he looks at Mark Ruffalo's character who who who's his uh, psychiatrist and he, he calls him Chuck again. And in the movie, the psychiatrist is is pretending to be his uh, his partner, his 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 uh, his deputy marshal partner. And he looks at him, he's like, you know, we got to get off this rock, Chuck. And then obviously at that point, you know, Mark Ruffalo's character, Dr. What's his name? Uh, I'm just going to refer to him as a psychiatrist. The psychiatrist looks over and he, he he sort of sort of shakes his head like it didn't work. He's 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 back to where he was again. And because of that, the film implies that he's going to get a lobotomy. But you don't really know. But then the more important thing is. Immediately you're thinking, oh, okay, Leonardo DiCaprio, he isn't going to be fixed, right? He's still he's still pretending to be this other character. He can't come to grips with who he is. But then he says a line to Mark Ruffalo that changes things and that leaves that ending with questions that you need to, that, that you can ask yourself as an audience member. He says, I, I'm paraphrasing, but I think he says something along the lines of Chuck, would you either want to die or want to live a monster as a monster, live as a monster, or die as a good man? And to me, how I interpret that, I interpret that as if he knows who he is, he knows what he's done, but he 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 would rather instead of living as a monster, because as long as he's alive, I think he knows. I think he's he's always going to know his, his true self 
and his past and his trade. That's always going to stay with him. And obviously he killed his wife because his wife killed his kids, right? And so would he rather live with that and live as a monster or die as a good man, die getting the lobotomy that's being implied in the film? Would he rather die playing this fictional character that he created being uh, Teddy Daniels? That's sort of how I interpret that. But once again, that's a prime example of films sort of leaving the audience with questions rather than answers. So I, 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 I think I think it made the film better for me going back to Tenet, circling back to Tenet now. I, I think it was very interesting that they he was just referred to as the protagonist. Now, not all of the characters in this film were nameless. Uh, Robert Pattinson's character's name was Neil. And, uh, and, uh, and yeah, so, and then Sator, Sator, Sator was the, uh, was the, was the, was the antagonist of this film. So I think basically to make a long story short, to make a point, to make my point here, I, I, I think it's, films shouldn't always do this, but I, I, I do believe sometimes it benefits films when they leave things up for interpretation, leave the audience guessing and questioning. Sparking conversations, sparking debates, right? There's still debates that go on to this day sometimes about The Dark Knight Rises. Did Michael Caine really see Bruce Wayne at the end of that film? Is Bruce? Did Bruce Wayne survive? Was the autopilot on? Like Those kind of debates still happen to this day. I'm not going to get into what I think. That's a conversation for a whole other day. But stuff like that, leaving it up for the audience to interpret it. That's how I feel. But anyways, guys... I think that is going to be the time today. I think we're going to wrap up episode nine. Uh, just to give you guys a slight preview, uh, I do have an episode plan with a with one of my former high school uh, uh, friends, and he's very he's, he's very passionate he's very passionate about Tesla and very passionate about the environment. And we're going to discuss some climate change and stuff like that. And we're going to get into some other things. Um, now if life gets in the way and something happens with either, you know, me or him and we can't, you know, find a time that works for the both of us, I do have an alternative plan in terms of podcast content. So don't worry, there's going to be a podcast regardless next week, but I do plan on having him on the, uh, on the podcast for episode 10 and it's going to be more of an interview. Like, obviously I know him, he's a friend of mine and, and, uh, and stuff like that, but I'm going to ask him a lot of questions. He's a very, very smart man. And uh, I'm excited to sit down with him and have that conversation next week uh, if everything goes according to to plan. So I think that's going to wrap up episode nine of Unbashful. If you guys enjoyed, please uh, leave a like and a comment and, you know, let me know how you felt. And uh, and as always, I want to thank you guys for listening and watching and I will see you on episode 10.